obsessed with all things ovine, there is seriously something about sheep and always something new to learn about keeping, breeding and farming them. Welcome to the Sheep Show podcast. I'm Jill Noble from Holston Valley Farm and Sheep Stud and your host. The Sheep Show podcast exists to help you no matter where you are in the world, what sheep you breed, what size your flock is. This podcast will help your sheep knowledge and your shepherding confidence grow. And it's a two-way street. I love to hear from you and find out how your sheep journey is going. Contact me via Instagram at Halston Valley Farm or via email jill at halstonvalleyfarm.com.au. Come along on this episode as we explore the amazing world of sheep and sheep farming together. Welcome to this episode of the Sheep Show podcast and thank you very much to the listener who asked me to contact Bjorn uh, on a topic called mob breeding. So I'll let Bjorn introduce himself and um, and explain to us a little bit about mob breeding but this just is a great example of where a listener gets in touch with me and we can make some magic happen. <laughs> so welcome, Bjorn. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so um, Bjorn, tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll get into our, our topic on, uh, on mob breeding. So just talk us through your, your background and where you are and who you are. I am a first-generation cross of a farmer and a teacher. So my parents are one farmer and one teacher, and that's what got me into this. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a farmer and a forester and everything in between. So I'm, I'm everything that's in between there and forestry and gardening and farming, that's my thing. Excellent. And I've always been fascinated with the the mix of wild and tame so we're you know the the way people are breeding cats and reindeer and things like that which are on the edges right it's it's not like a cat has a father a cat has a mother but no father right yeah and somehow cats are the most healthy of all the domesticated animals dogs are the worst they have complete pedigrees and cats are the best so there's something some magic going on there right there is they choose their own part they choose their own uh, how they mate and they fight it out and somehow that works it's a great analogy isn't it for for our topic and and we're so we let the cat the cats will uh, will mate with whatever they choose and and we're calling the things that doesn't work in our context yeah which where I come from is we call the the ugly and the white basically <laughs> the red the ugly and the white and keep the rest <laughs> and the same thing can be applied to milking cattle or to beef cattle or to sheep it doesn't matter if it's hair sheep or wool sheep or whatever right it it's uh, the concept of having natural selection but in the framework chosen by man yeah. So we want them to be functionally efficient 
and to produce something from us, for us. Mm-hmm. So a wild animal will be more nervous and more on edge, but we want calm animals, but basically we want them as wild as nat- wild and natural as they can be in our context where, well, we have to make money. So we want yeah. a product that is sellable, it's usable. Uh-huh. Whatever the economic context, at least we want them to produce something that's useful. Yes, yes. Great stuff. So, so this is, and you're based in Norway. Yes. Yes. I'm Great. Swedish and I live in Norway. Ah, okay. So that's really interesting because, yes, that, that helps me out a lot. Great stuff. Okay, cool. That's a, that, that's a New Zealander in Australia or the yeah. other way around. It's, it's, <laughs> It's basically this. It's it's basically the same people, right? Yes, indeed. We, we have we have a, a, a few countries with a different nationality, but it's basically the same tribe, and our culture is very much the same, right? Yes, much indeed. like New Zealand and Australia. So indeed, yeah, it's, it's very it's easy. It's a to bit move. like that tame and that wild business again. Exactly. So. <laughs> Okay, so, so you. Who is the wild and who is the ah, tame? Ah, great question. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, so you grew grew up with this sort of concept um, around this wild and tame your your whole life with this mix of teacher farmer influence. So uh, yeah, I I grew up on a, a dairy farm. Okay. And anyone knows that you need to cull dairy animals, yeah. and you need to get paid for those. So meat is important, even if you're calling yourself a milk farmer, you're selling tons of meat, right? Yeah. And health aspects are, you know, the the eighty, you know, the eighty twenty rule, that twenty percent of your income comes from eighty percent of your work. Mm-hmm. So you do you do a lot of work with those that have poor feet or poor others or whatever, you and and. Oh no no that's just a cow I'm just milking her twice a day and she takes care of herself and then you you put all the work in the wrong place right mm-hmm. So we tried to fix that and we are we are breeding a, a heritage pony breed and mm-hmm. they're in the forest and we collect them five times a year and and so that and we always bred cats in the farm right so mm-hmm. that doesn't have papers that that are simply yeah. doing that cat thing and and it works or i can like the all the old cats i remember right we had uh, six or seven cats that lived to over 15 years old wow and and then you see the pedigree dogs that are that are fall apart right so so some something is is there that we we need to take a step back and be address complexity like we say in holistic management like there are things we cannot go into detail and uh, and handle but we can still manage it mm-hmm. great so yeah so um our topic t- tonight is is exactly what we've just started to sort of socialize which is this concept of mob breeding so how would you define it what exactly is it well, it's inspired by these kinds of things like domestic cats, of reindeer, of uh, of land race breeding, sort of like that. Uh, 
where you know you you make sure that your males come from older and wiser more productive females but you don't know which male breeds what female mm-hmm. and the more i learn about genetics i read about that a bit too much probably and the and the more i learn about that the less it matters what which male breeds what female you can build something in the short term like you can you can call it that this mare nicks with this stallion right if you mix if you breed those two together you get good nice uh, offspring from that but that combination is not going to stay there mm-hmm. it's gone within two, two or three generations in over time the only thing that matters is if there are good genes or bad genes mm-hmm. and of course that's a sl- slippery slope and a uh, gradient and whatever but there's nothing inherently good or inherently bad but what i call good it's what works and what i call bad is what causes you grief mm-hmm. so 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 but generally my point is that it doesn't matter the individual combinations doesn't matter which is uh means that a lot of the work breeders do is actually in vain it doesn't matter what what dog breeds what bitch it in, mm-hmm. over time that's irrelevant right mm-hmm. it, the question is do you keep the good genes from a good animal in the population or not and if you go people people that breed animals with the first generations find this out once in a while but people that people never find out for for humans you never find it out mm-hmm. because we have long lives and slow generations and with you know cattle and horses they live for a long time but maybe you can see it in rabbits that these combinations mean nothing mm-hmm. and over time one individual will be the ancestor of in its entire uh, uh race it of its entire uh, breed or it will be the ancestor of not no one yes over time it's either or So is it so when is I it, make this, this are we talking about natural selection this, here is that is that what really No it is? I mean I mean I No I mean if I have a good individual Yeah I t- I keep a lot of offspring from that one mm-hmm. and maybe I keep a lot of offspring from its offspring but there comes a point where a certain a certain bull will after a few generations be the ancestor of the entire breed one of the ancestors of the entire breed mm-hmm. or he will be phased out and he will not be an ancestor of the breed like it's either if you go 16 or 20 or 100 generations that's what's going to happen right mm-hmm. and if you uh, so so it's just the genes it doesn't matter how you combine them that's short term thing but it doesn't matter on the end so we just try to stack good ge- good genetics mm-hmm. like we we try to increase the frequency of genetics that make the animal function mm. and we don't we, we don't care so much about individuals we call it overcoming the great bull syndrome <laughs> once you realize it doesn't matter if that particular name is we- uh, these particular names are in there if the animal works it works if it doesn't work it doesn't work so we are carefully selecting the males but we don't care 
we don't care if a particular male is in fact in the pedigree. We just gave them the chance to be there. So mm. by putting ma- multiple males, they will sort itself out, right? If they have hidden faults and you yeah. don't know that it's it's the grandson of that great bull that you paid a lot of money for. Mm-hmm. It's just the grandson of one of your good bulls from before. And you change the bulls every year. So you go like, you come to the point where you call, if you don't know the, the ancestry of the animal, you can just call it from what you know. And what mm-hmm. you know is how much it grew, if it got sick, these down-to-earth things that really matter, mm-hmm. the ones that pays the bills. Mm. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, by keeping the ancestry, by being blind to, to the pedigree, we, we, can't, we kind of avoid the, the, the traps, you know, like mm. we avoid the, the sentimental values and so on. Yeah. So we can just appreciate them for what they are. What they are, yeah. So we so, so we, like in, mm-hmm. in one of my, in one one of uh, some of my uh, sheep project, it's mm-hmm. we don't know what animals they come from, but we know that the mothers of every the the dams of every sire, so the grand dams of every lamb, has at least lamb three times, and on the average five times. Mm-hmm. and did that without any problems because that's the only way of getting to the point where we use their sons they must be without problems mm-hmm. they mustn't have they don't have to have spectacular uh, production but they need to win something acceptable mm-hmm. so we are really we are breeding boring ordinary sheep mm-hmm. and a perfect sheep a perfect sheep is simple is an ordinary sheep without faults. It's <laughs> <laughs> like they don't look and a, a, a perfect sheep looks like an ordinary sheep. There's, yeah. there's no magic in it, right? Yeah. But it functions. It functions, yeah. And if we and, and we have the if we have 80% of the work for 20% of the money. Yeah. Well, you can have the same work and you can have four times as many sheep. Yeah. If you if you can reduce the the grief. Yeah. So that that that's my starting point. Yeah, great stuff. So um so is mob breeding where you you just let nature take its course? Yeah, yes, but within param- parameters that we have decided. What sort of parameters? So uh, we we want the animals to work for us. We are mm-hmm. not going to work for them. Every sheep has to be shared, of course, but that's one time. Mm-hmm. We don't. We want. Don't want to stop. Uh, catch a sheep and find out what's wrong with its feet. We don't want to help it to mother the, the lamb and so on. Mm-hmm. Because if if you're if you're helping ten percent of the sheep with the newborn lamb, you have a lot of work. And if mm. you if you help one percent you can have 10, 10 times as many sheep. Mm. You can decide if you're lambing 300 or 3,000 sheep. Yeah. It's the same work. Yeah. So, and when we're talking, my roots in holistic management uh, also tells me that we need a lot of sheep. We want <laughs> to increase the numbers. We don't, 
<laughs> we don't want to have extra people to do more work just to increase the numbers. It's same same shepherd can handle more sheep. Yes, right. So 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 what what are the what's the I suppose the outcomes or what does mob breeding achieve for for a shepherd? Uh, the same income, but with less grief, with less problems, with less. Uh, we try to reduce animals that need individual help. Okay. So yeah, something that works. Yes. And 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 what works over time? The, the, why we are we want them to lamb three times before before they can have sons in breeding, mm-hmm. and we do that be, because. We cull all the time. Mm-hmm. Any sheep farmer culls, right? Yeah. And and I don't. I'm not up to date with the numbers, but uh, for sheep, but but for cattle, calving three times means there's only thirty percent left of the year class. Mm. So is this and why that, that probably it, it's it's some same same sheep? So, so yeah. So so basically, if I have already culled seven, if I Let's say let's say the sheep that are born in in uh, 2017. Mm. If I have already culled 70 percent of them, the blood of those that are left is better than the ones than all of them, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't. If a sheep works well for seven years, it's not it's not like I want them to to lamb seven or eight or ten years it doesn't matter if they lamb that many times but if they manage to a sheep that that works perfectly for seven years also worked perfectly for three years right Mm. that means Mm. its offspring will have less problems because something took that sheep to that level to that age Mm -hmm. but if we're if we're making the decision here to for example to not choose a sire or a breeding animal from something that that hasn't um, hasn't or has successfully lambed for three years. Surely that's interfering rather than just letting nature completely take its course. Wouldn't, wouldn't yeah, it's it's it, it yes. But what happens if you let nature take its course? You can just go to some island and look what happened with <laughs> sheep that were there for one hundred and fifty years, right? Yeah. They become wild sheep. Yeah. And a wild sheep is not what we're trying to breed. Ah. Okay. We're trying to breed a normal we're, we're trying to breed a, an ordinary boring production sheep. Yeah. With but we are so letting nature take its course, just leave them with the foxes, right? It's not the same thing. Yeah. It's like uh, I you know, we want to. Where I come from, we feed the we feed the sheep in the winter, and we we uh, uh, keep uh, predators away and so on. So mm-hmm. it they don't have to fight nature. But we're so we're changing the rules, but the, but natural selection still still applies. Okay. We we can even we can even help a sheep that has a problem if it's ethical. If it's product, if it's profitable and ethical to help the sheep that season, and then we can cull it and at a better time. Mm-hmm. So, so 
I'm open for that. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not saying let the bastards die. I'm just saying that the ones that have difficulties should be at some point removed from the gym pool. Mm -hmm. And that would be deliberately making a deliberate decision in that instance. Instead of saying, oh, it's an accident. This sheep is open. Yeah. You say, it's good that I have some open sheep to cull so I can keep these ones that are, yeah. I'm not giving it the second chance. It's a, it's open. So yeah. it's better. I have something that consistently lamb. Those mm-hmm. are the ones that make money, right? Or mm-hmm. if I have, if I have to treat the feet of, of one sheep while I have a hundred sheep that don't need a problem, well, make sh- make sure like whatever the production of that sheep that needed the help with the feet, it mm-hmm. may have a higher production, but if I'm breeding for a higher production in that context, I'm also breeding for problems. Mm-hmm. But if I'm breeding for the highest productions out of the ones that didn't cause me grief, mm-hmm. I have a, 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 I'm building a pyramid with a more solid base, right? Right. Yeah, right. So how it's going to be a hundred my pyramid is going to be 146 meters high, but you can I can decide if it's 220 at the bottom or it's mm. 10 at the bottom. Mm. <laughs> it falls over more easily, right? Yeah, yeah. So how is that different to then breeding sheep and um taking notes, for example, on your lambing and then making very strategic culling decisions. What's the difference between mob breeding and perhaps that more conventional way of of breeding if you were going to breed sheep from a production point of view? If you are already taking notes about what to cull, if you know them by by numbers or by names and you can... can, uh, write them up or you can register the ones you want to call you mm-hmm. are halfway there okay this is what this is what this is what all the uh, pro- professional uh, sheep breeders doing right mm-hmm. they're re- removing them the ones that cause them grief mm-hmm. and the, the one of the basic differences with mob mob breeding and other breeding is where you choose your males okay so we are choosing the males own we're accelerating the process or we're putting the breeding and the culling in the same in the same direction instead of choosing breeding animals from top production and and uh, culling for for health issues we cull for health issues and if there is room we also cull for production mm-hmm. and we choose the breeding males from females that don't have health health issues mm-hmm. because you can get them in any flock. It doesn't yes. matter how what your average is. You still have a few that will consistently lamb and will not cause you grief. Mm. Just make more of them, right? Mm. And we make more of them by using their sons, and we only use their sons for one season, which means that the longer a, a you stays in your flock the more tickets she has in the lottery. Mm-hmm. And one son represents her daughter, one son represents her mo- his mother to 50%, mm-hmm. but four sons, you're up to 75 and 80, 87 and a half and 94 or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So 
you get more uh, you get four different samples of that you and it's more likely that you are going to get all the ge- or you get most of her good genetics on mm-hmm. so you, so we get away from the great ram syndrome right <laughs> we replace the rams all the time and every so every ram has a father that has such a mother yes so the the half of the rams are already great because we did did it before right and the other half of or one side of the the pedigree for the ram even though, though it doesn't have a pedigree but the male side of the ram already come from that kind of genetics and the 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 female side of it the the mother of it must keep to that standard mm-hmm. so no matter how the breeding decisions were done before if the sheep handles three or more years of your culling regime it's a good sheep and right. if she is still there you can use her sons yes right okay and then what we do when we when we collect uh, a group of rams that have a good enough mother because this is all about good enough it's ordinary boring sheep right it's nothing <laughs> they are not race horses right it, yeah. it it's the top it doesn't matter if it's uh one kilo over or five kilos over but it needs to be good enough it needs to be something that you can use for something right so you're focused so, on function yeah function so we bring mm-hmm. a group of young rams they are four months old when we win them mm-hmm. we know nothing of them we know the only thing we know is how their mother produces and what they look like and so yeah. we take this group of rams and then i i like to bring people that know nothing about sheep so i brought uh <laughs> i brought uh, a farmer from ghana or i brought a concrete worker from ireland Mm-hmm. or even an architect from Spain or whatever I I I did this so many times and we ask them when we we explain the context we have the pen with these uh, potential breeding rams and then we tell this youngest or most uh, this person that knows less about sheep than anyone else and we say pick out the worst ram here mm-hmm. and anyone can do it anyone can remove the ugliest little ram mm-hmm. and then we lift that one out of the pen he's not going to disturb our our gaze anymore he's is is not under our eyes anymore we simply lift him over mm-hmm. and then we said look for the second worst mm-hmm. and then we find the second worst we remove him and when it gets difficult to find a fault the rest are good and it's usually two thirds <laughs> So right. so we get the 10% of the of the ram lambs or something like that and we remove the the worst third of it and then the rest are all nice they're all good enough. Mm-hmm. And and we did that but just by looking at them. Of course we have weighed them so we know their weights and so on. Yeah. But the magic is I've did, did this so many times now and the magic is that the ones we deem good enough they are always over uh, the average mm. Great. because the older proven you the over, older proven use tend to have bigger rams than 
bigger sons than uh, yes. than the average because yes. that's why they are old and proven, right? Yes, interesting. So right. in, mm. uh, personal records are important, but you can actually just collect the the gang and sort sort out the trash, and then you're fine. Yeah, right stuff. So, so this is really interesting. Where you know it's we're we're still. I suppose meddling or inter- intervening as uh, you know as as farmers or or shepherds but we're doing it with with certain objectives in mind you know like the things you've mentioned only breeding yeah. from from ewes that have have lambed successfully without any intervention or help for 3 years um yeah. then you that know it sounds try- really simple right it does it does and then then trying to sort of look at just visually look at the the rams that sort of stand above or are are performing so how yeah, we, we're what we're doing we, we are rather than looking for the best ones yeah we are removing the worst ones yeah we don't care which one of these is the all the the best of the best as long as they are meeting the standard, we don't care. Yeah. So that's that, that's kind of, it's not easy to find the best of the best, but it's very easy to find the worst of the worst. Yeah. It's much easier. Yes. And when you find the best of the best, the only way to find it is to not have enough um, criteria. If you're only looking for one thing, you can say this one is the biggest. Yes. Hmm. But you, but then you're. But it's also the thing that goodness, all goodness in a flock, cannot go into one ram, or not in the first try, not in the first year anyway. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is that this group of rams, like the first time we did mob breeding many years ago, the first time I had someone listening to me <laughs> with sheep because I started with cattle, of course. Uh, but the first time I did that with sheep, we selected 39 rams and then we put them all together with the with the flock. And people were expecting all kinds of things, right? There must be inbreeding now. All these have a have now these four 39 of them. There is a chance they may meet breed with their, their dam, or it's a chance they may breed with their half-sister. And all hell will break loose. And I told them, you know, most of the inbred, inbred, there will be more outbred mating than inbred mating, right? Mm -hmm. Because they only have one dam and they don't have a full sister. Mm. Or they have one or no, one full sister or no full sister, right? Mm. And only one third of them have a full sister. Mm. And that's the first year. The first year you're doing mob breeding, a third of the rams will have a full sister. Mm-hmm. But on the second year of mob breeding, almost none of them have a full sister because even their twin is their half sister. Yeah. <laughs> that because that's what happened when when one you is mated by seven rams, you don't you you don't get the full siblings either. So yeah. then the only inbreed is their mother and. And that's one, and their mother is one of the best sheep in the flock. So it chances are there will be a good outcome anyway, right? Yes. So anyway, I've seen this many times now, and what happens is that 
ordinary boring lamp comes out. And the only difference is that these lamps are more likely to stand up and suckle. Yeah. The, the only special thing about them is that they are more vigorous. Yeah. And we have some places we did that for seven years and, and you won't believe the, the yeah. difference, right? They are bouncy. Wow. <laughs> they're just bouncy, but they're looking the same, but they're just yeah. bouncing off the ground. Yeah. And then you, you go from, uh, if, if one farmer had a, a, 8% mortality rate. And now he has 1.2. <laughs> wow. Another one had seven, he's under one. So, and, and one had, had a little over 10, and he also fixed his env environment a little bit, but he, he got a lot lower as well. So it's it's like the, the first thing, first thing that happens is that you get more vigorous bouncy lamps. And the second thing is when you did it for three years and you start getting the, you start getting used that come from mob breeding and then you accelerate the thing right wow. then then you have uh, you stack the genetics of function mm -hmm. so so like as it's a slow increase of vigor yes. but it's significant and when you're at the same time uh, calling uh, problems consistently calling problems you're not forgiving a problem because of high production you're you say production, we define that as production from, from problem-free animals. So we don't care if we have even bigger lambs from other use. They are just good for our money this year, but it, we're not building anything from them. Yeah. And yeah. of course, we're twisting, we're, we're twisting the, if we are changing the, the breeding goal a bit, like we are doing. I mean, on the end, we are go once we get the fertility and viability, we get that up. Of course, we start selecting for production again, but um, it's it's kind of interesting that you you, you twist the focus, you, you change the focus a little bit, and of course, it's not the same animals that are called the best anymore. Mm -hmm. So I, I looked at the bar is raising all the time. Yeah. So I was I was looking at um, the auction catalogs of uh, uh, Swedish sheep, right? The best of the best of the best, sir, with honors, sir. And so I I was bored. I looked through 130 uh, the pedigree of 130 rams. Mm. And I thought, why do I must check why do these have bigger, better weights and better, uh, um, you know, confirmation, right? Mm -hmm. And we're talking about the uh, uh, Gotland sheep, which is a kind of they have, need to have nice, beautiful pelts, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so they they are judged, and they are using one hour to check every every ram, right? to get the, the most finest, nicest wool from every, every one of them. And I said, what if they have nicer style than our sheep? So let me check if, if they meet my standards. So I went through the catalog of these 130 rams, and eight of them have a dam that meets my standards. And none of them have a grand dam that meets my standards. So I say, that's fine if they are better at their game because it's not my game. Mm. So mm. The, the, the minimum standard we are using 
for viability, for lambing every year, for not having inter in have having to have intervention at any point, and and you know not causing grief. The minimum standard we had, none of them could do it. So of course they have better weights and so on, right? But in this time, but but fifty years from now, our sheep will not have poorer weights than their sheep. The fact that we are consistently removing problems yeah. will also improve our average. Yeah. It's just we're Event not eventually. Average. Yes, eventually. Yeah. But so we don't need to break we don't need to break any records. What we uh, need to do is having ordinary boring sheep that pays mm -hmm. our bills. So is is that one of the challenges, I suppose, with why people don't do more breeding, no, no breed in this way because we're just not patient enough? We're not patient, but most of, most of the reason is that people want to shine. People want to be the, the people want to be the one that bred that wow. that particular ram that you can sell at the auction for a lot of money. Vanity, basically. Vanity and ego. If I say, yeah, so I'm saying like, you know, these 39 boring rams that look like any other ram, only they have no faults. Mm. And and uh, and it doesn't have a pedigree. Yeah, mm. it has a pedigree because its mother, its, its uh, maternal grandmother and so on, they are recorded. But seven-eighths of the pedigree you know nothing about or fifteen-sixteenths. Mm. You, you, you only know that they are quality sheep. You don't know which one it is. And and of course you can dna dna type them yeah like we if you are a stud breeder and pedigree is some somehow important because it's all vanity mm -hmm. uh, i mean the what breed it is and what pedigree it is it it's only worth as much as the integrity of the breeder mm -hmm. mm. So once you have once you have realized that you can get quality sheep from Mr. Smith down the road, mm. you stop caring what is the names in the book. <laughs> because if it comes from Mr. Smith, it has on average a dam and a grand dam and a great grand dam that lambed five times and never caused you grief. Yeah. And 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 we put the production uh, the production numbers they need to be in the top 85 percent of the of the flock mm. so they need to be better than minus 10 yeah they, they can't be under they can't be under uh, 90 or if the average is 100 they can't be under 90 mm. and of course you can you can change that you can say they, they must be over 95 they can't be more than five percent under the flock average but the point is that None of them were bad. Yeah. There's nothing bad in there. Yeah. And you stack five generations of nothing bad, you get something good. Mm -hmm. So if, but, but if, they, they, if the longevity is so important, why are we in, in mob breeding only breeding with young sires? So rams for one season only, if longevity is so important? This is such a good question. Mm -hmm. It's because it's longevity of used functional 
functional longevity for use. It's what matters. Okay. There is no need to keep a RAM for nine years. Mm. It's outdated by then. But, uh, uh, and it's not that important to keep uh, a U for nine years. Mm-hmm. But if she functioned for nine years, she also functioned for the first five years. Hmm. So a time is a test. The more times, the uh, being a sheep is, is not running 100 meter. It's more like uh, uh, decathlon, right? Yeah. She has to be good at 10 things. Mm-hmm. Or she has to be good at seven things. I don't care, but she mm-hmm. has to be good w- in uh, Nordic model of... Uh, of dairy cattle, they are registering 38 different traits they are uh, careful about. Mm-hmm. So something like that. It's decathlon or better, right? Mm. And and one year is one competition. Mm. So the more times, and we're not breeding for winners, we're just trying to not breed for losers. Mm. So the more time they complete the race without losing, Right. Without breaking the foot, right? So the ones that successfully complete the race and end up in the top 85 or the top 75 or whatever your limit is, that's the good sheep, which mm-hmm. are ordinary sheep in any other way, but they do the they do the the sheep work, right? Yeah. They they eat any sheep will eat grass and make manure from the grass, but some of them will also produce some value for a human. <laughs> Yeah. So does this mean that if you're a a seed stock producer of, of sheep, like a stud producer of sheep, and you meddle and intervene, you you might be messing with n- natural selection too much? Within the there is no way the the more you meddle, the slower your progress is. There's there's no way of not in meddling there's no way of not interfering with good selection if you meddle Mm. but if you if you have to meddle for ethical or economical reasons yeah you you then remove those animals from the gene pool so that your meddling is in fact not disturbing your selection So it's it's perfectly fine to mollycoddle everything, but just <laughs> just so you you can have a setting with with uh, seven sheep, right? And you can spoil them rotten, mm. but you can still keep the keep the books about who who which ones did their job. Yeah. Or you can have a, a okay a hundred thousand sheep, and you don't well you know that they need help when they die. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, some, some the setting is different, the context is different, but basically you're, with mob breeding, you are perfectly allowed to take care of those that need help. Yeah. But you're not breeding from those. Yeah. And if you, have, if, if you cannot afford to cull something because you can't cull too much, if you can't afford a 40% cull rate, but you can afford a 32% cull rate. That's fine. Or 10%. Yeah. But just make sure you don't, you t- take the ramps from those that function and over time you're winning. Yeah. And I like to say that 
culling and harvesting does not have to be on the same day. You can decide to kill an animal two years before you actually kill it. Right. You can say, I need this animal. Over time, I need this animal out. But mm -hmm. I keep need to keep my numbers up in order to, to pay my bills. So mm -hmm. I'm saying I'm going to cull this after weaning next year. So I'm even increasing the number of these bad sheep for a little bit. But I know over time I'm washing it out and I'm yes. breeding them to the best. Not So, mm. so and that the, 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 effect, the effect of kill, uh, culling individual sheep is, is moderate. Mm. The breeding decision is more important. But yes. if these two go hand in hand you you get more progress yeah in in the examples and that you've quoted Bjorn you know you know all these examples you know where the, the 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 farmer is having significant improvements in health and welfare of their animals and longevity of their animals and viability and, and all those things what what are the disadvantages or what can go wrong when we're mob breeding I don't know how to put this. I was prepared for this question, but the, the horrible truth is that we have not seen those problems. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. No, the, the thing is, I mean, if you have one, if you have one exception, then it's all much better, right? Yeah. Then you can say every time except this one time. Mm. Alan Savory has one of those when he's trying to he is uh, talking about uh, uh, he's, he's crowding the, the cattle in the, in the nighttime and and he says that every area we treated was was a perfect success and and someone told him you can't say that <laughs> you can't say that every, no one will no one will believe you yeah. and they had 500 such areas and and all were success and then Two years later, when they had 700 areas, mm -hmm. they had two places where nothing happened, <laughs> where it didn't help, right? Yeah. So then they felt much better. And one of my mob breeders, a guy in Norway here, is uh, breeding a traditional uh, short-tailed Norwegian sheep. And I come to visit him. His uh, lambs are uh, six weeks old. Because he only um, many of these will only join the 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 rams to the use for seventeen days, mm. so that every lamb looks the same. Every lamb is the same uh, when 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 they have the same age. Yeah, they have been through the same hell. The entire flock has been through the same hailstorms, the same thunder, right? Yeah. So they have the forage quality was the same for every sheep. Yeah, and. And it doesn't have to be 17 days. It can be 34 days. But the point is that we want them in a specific time. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I come to him when his lambs are six weeks old. And uh, and I want to demonstrate to my girlfriend that this is, you know, this is how mob breeding works. And look at this ordinary sheep, right? Vigorous, ordinary sheep. And he's got the sheep. Uh, he's got a lamb with uh, very weak feet, right? Uh, the tendons of the feet. 
it, it looks like it's some inbred dog or something, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's pushing the foot down too much. I don't even know, know what it's called. I've only seen one time. And the guy smiles at me and he says, points at this lamb and says, this is the effect of mob breeding. This is what they become, he says. <laughs> He's joking, of course. He's joking. Everyone else, all the other ones. Yeah, all the other ones are great, right? And he, the only thing he needs to do is raise that that particular lamb and slaughter it, yes. and he's better off, right? Yes. Because those genetics were there anyway. Yes. The genetics were there anyway, and and they were exposed in this particular individual. So by removing that one, he's mm-hmm. lowered the frequency of the bad genetic. Mm-hmm. So he's... Is not eliminating the the bad genetics, but he's reduced it a lot. And yeah. and now it's I think four years more down the line he need, didn't see that thing be- anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we, whatever it came from, it's probably in there somewhere. But he said, that, look at the effects of inbreeding caused by mob breeding, right? And you know, with irony, because he's really understood the okay. the concept. So, so basically, the the um, advantages outweigh the any minor exceptions that may occur. Now, what the, what happens is that if he had bought the ram from someone else, which mm. is perfectly le- le- legitimate, if you're not mob breeding, just go somewhere and buy a ram. Yeah, that is expected to be good. You know nothing about his mother. If most cheap breeders, if you say. If you say uh, how many years did did uh, this ram's mother uh, produce, and they go like what? Mm. I mean, I, you're asking them what's the basic criteria for a you to to have sons in breeding, and they go like what's that? Mm. Now we're looking at the rams. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, he, if he went went to his neighbor and bought a, a good ram or a presumably good ram, he would of course still have one one lamb with a with sorry feet anyway mm-hmm. it's not like it's it, i mean there is no flock without poor lambs mm-hmm. and my old father used to my late father used to say that the we went around looking at sheep everywhere he, he used to have sheep before i was born mm. so he he's ta- he taught me a, a tons of sheep knowledge but uh like he, he I learned it from my father, but not from his own sheep. Mm-hmm. But he was always pointing, look here, look there. And he said, mm-hmm. how do you know if it's a good flock? It's not the best sheep. Anyone, any idiot can have good one good sheep, right? Or, or But the, the real measure is, what does the ugliest sheep look like? Mm-hmm. And, I, and he showed it to me, and one super professional guy, and, and he, he, my father asked me, where are where are his uh, his bad sheep? Identify the, the bad sheep, the, the ten bad sheep for me, please. Mm-hmm. I said I can't find them. <laughs> he said that's what I'm talking about. Okay. It's the lower, the better the lower end, the better the flock, right? Right. Because the the higher end, the higher end is good everywhere. Yes. But the mo the easiest way of improving the average is the low end. Yes. And and so. and this concept, I suppose. So one of the one of the advantages or benefits of mob breeding is consistency. Yeah, mm. you get to you get to consistency not by inbreeding 
or not mm-hmm. by line breeding, but you get the consistency because you have a minimum level. Mm-hmm. Because you have a minimum level for each trait, you don't go below that after that. Yeah. But it, I think the most difficult thing for me, uh, one thing is that I'm not selling this idea, I'm just giving it so that he's not trying to sell anything. <laughs> What's wrong with him, right? But the most difficult thing is once you have understood it, you are the one that invented it. Of course, it's, 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 I mean, once you have understood mob breeding, the concept is so simple that I have told you nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's almost like, like it's self evident. It's self evident, self awareness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of thinking, yeah, it's really obvious. It's when, it's, yeah. it's when you start managing holistically, you go like, Mm. Well, Alan Savory, blah, blah, I invented this. Yeah. I've always done like this, right? Yeah. Well, you haven't. We, we haven't been systematic. You, what, we haven't been systematic. We, we just, we did what we thought was right. But yeah. if we have a context to put everything, then it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with mob breeding. So it's, it, it's too simple. Mm. So on, it's too simple. It's yeah. It, it's well. It's it's just yeah. It's, it's very straightforward. So a few things you mentioned there, you know about um, you know genetics and so on. So the, how does so, so a, a mob breeding? It sounds like mob breeding really focuses on um, getting consistently good genetics with with sort of tweaking slightly because we mm-hmm. have to do it practically and we don't want wild sheep. Where then does the environmental factors feed into it, in, into mob breeding? You know, and, and, you know, I mean, you think about someone like Alan Savory and rotational grazing and things like that, you know, so and is this where the holistic element comes in that you need to also think about the environment? Yeah, like you, that is, there is no farm with the same environment. Mm but they are roughly the same. So it's all about sheep turning forage into manure Mm. and hopefully making milk and meat at the same time. But Mm. that's what happens, right? The plants are a little bit different and some feed grain, some don't. And, Mm -hmm. and you, you, I mean, it's in some will, cut down leaves to feed their sheep, for example, mm. which ups the protein and someone say you're cheating because you have, you're a silver, you have a silver pasture or a syntropic, uh, syntropic plantation context where you're cutting things down and you're, you're feeding the sheep that way. But mm-hmm. basically, you can mob breed even if you're feeding grain. Even if you're feeding grain every day, you can mob breed. Mm-hmm. It's what most of my people do is they mob breed in order to have forage efficient sheep. And and, uh, they want to go away from uh, standard uh, breeding practices because the ones that sell them the rams feed them, feed their flock a lot of grain. Mm. 
mm-hmm. a lot of uh, um, processed feed or which means that they these the bought rams will give you smaller rumens than your homebred rams so you want i mean if we're mob breeding in the in a all forage context and we we want health we have emphasis on on health and production in that order but what happens is that the ones that are good at eating win mm. If you feed a lot of high concent- high, high concentrates, the ones that are they don't need to be very good at eating, they can still they can still grow. Mm-hmm. But if so, so so the context is a little bit different, and and it's if there is no no one to buy rams from, no one treats their sheep like you treat your sheep, then maybe you can breed your own instead, right? Yeah, because there's for for example. Um, uh, the the meat sheep called Texel, mm-hmm. Texel and Suffolk, which are common common where I in my circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you import genetics from New Zealand, they will have a smaller stature. They will have bigger muscle, and they will have a lot bigger rumen than the Europeans. Mm-hmm. So New Zealand uh, version of Texel and of Suffolk is. It's many places they they are mm. taking over just simply because the New Zealanders did not spoil their sheep. Wow, they are European sheep that the New Zealanders just selected for twenty years sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah. But something happens to them when you treat them differently, and what we are seeing with with mob breeding, we're seeing it too slow. We want we want more improvement because we want. Yeah. Uh, but there is there is a genetic difference in appetite in personal appetite mm-hmm. and there is there is no research research i can find for sheep probably because they are not seen as individuals but mm. the difference in this uh, they have identical twins old research in, from sweden where they have identical twin twins and they treated one twin different than the other one mm. and then they got the average of these pairs and they got like a high energy and a low energy version of of how to to raise heifers for mm-hmm. milk production but they found out something and they, they found out that there is a genetic aspect of personal appetite and the the heifer pair that ate the most and the heifer pair that ate the least was 46% difference mm-hmm. Out of a, a, a few tens of uh, pairs, like uh, less than fifty pairs, right? Mm. So, personal high, a high personal appetite is partly genetic, and room and capacity is partly genetic. Mm. So that if we are only ever feeding the forage they can find, or even if we're giving them hay in winter, we're still in the position where we are. Putting forwards the one that can knows how to eat. Yes. And from my personal experience, I know how to eat, and that's why I'm taller than other men, right? <laughs> so my family have a higher personal appetite, and we grow taller. So mm-hmm. that's I can I like uh, I can see that from I feel that on my skin, right? But mm. basically, there is such a change, but it's slower than we want. 
Mm-hmm. But we are seeing that they get better and better milk and better and better meat from the forage because okay. they are less, they are not 100% forage adapted, but they are better than they were. Yes. They come from 50 years of spoiled sheep. And mm-hmm. it's not like everyone spoils their sheep, but the ones that sell rams spoil their sheep, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tip, so tip a, little bit of, a, a little bit of spoiling ruins a lot. Wow. Jeez. So you can you and and of course you can you can mob breed in the context of feeding concentrates in grain. It's perfectly fine. Yeah. But don't expect them to be better forage sheep. Yes. Indeed. But they will get better at what you're uh, they, if you're treating your sheep consistently, your sheep will get better at being in that environment. Mhm. So let, let's say you have an environment where they, there is free access to concentrate and grain. And you mob breed this over, over uh, 10 years or uh, 20 years, you will get sheep that are really good at eating grain. Mm. They will be like broiler chickens, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and similarly, if you, if you put them on just grass, they will be better at eating grass. They will be more like cows instead of more like chickens. Wow. Oh, we, just because selection for uh, selection for function and production in your environment is what changes the sheep. Yeah. Wow. But of course, sheep are sheep. So they, they, they should be allowed to pick the best, right? Cows can eat everything and the sheep can pick the leaves off the nice stuff and yes. but but my point you know like you they become the way you want the way you treat them is what they become yes yes that's like selection right yes indeed absolutely you can't change, you can't, yeah. cha- you can't change them without changing them yes so on that so you're, then you're getting with with mob breeding do you do you use uh, or should you use and I know this is quite controversial, but should you drench? Should you use vaccines? Is that something you should or shouldn't be doing if you're if you're going to mob breed? Yes, yes, and no. <laughs> uh, because you do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. You are. We are not holy. This is not. Uh, this is not an order of the saints, right? We are not, we are, mob breeding is not about holier than thou. It's not about niching yourself in the market. You are not, it's not about being, uh, you know, pure. Mm. It's what, it's about turning grass into meat and it's about, making money for yourself not to feed uh, breed associations registries mm-hmm. it's not about f- uh, feeding grain companies so but and it's not about buying medicine right because some mm. some p- farmer publications you get the idea that farming is, exists so you can buy medicine for your animals right so if you need the drench you drench yeah and the same thing with the, you know, in, internal parasites, external parasite. Mm. 
a good posture management reduces the stress, right? Yeah. A good lambing month. Mm. Yes. Uh, we have a flower called dandelion. I'm sure you have it. Yeah. Uh, and you have a you, the bird called a starling you have in Australia as well, yeah. right? Yeah. So when you see starling, eggshells from the starlings, and when the dandelions flower, that's the lamb, lambing time. How come? What and What so is it about the dandelions that make it a lambing time? That's uh, it's uh, very showy. You can't miss it. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a yellow flower, so you see yeah, it, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But but uh, the point is that the spring, the island I come from, the spring is. The spring defined as starling eggs and uh, star- mm-hmm. starlings hatching and dandelions flowering. It's the, in the start of May. Okay. In here in Norway, it's in the middle of May. Mm-hmm. In Portugal, it's in February. Yeah. And Australia is more like Portugal, but it's, it's the other way around, right? Yeah. So you have the same thing in August or something. It's yeah. in first September or something, right? Mm-hmm. The, we have the last little bit of summer here and there's the first start of summer, right? But yep. but my point is that there is a point where forage is pure awesomeness, mm-hmm. where the forage is low fiber, high protein, high energy. Mm-hmm. And a, a few weeks into that is where you want the lambing. Mm-hmm. Then anything goes by itself. And if you want the lambing, Two months earlier, you have all kinds of stress and you have to feed a lot more, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, so much of the lamb growth, like the, the, the lamb before it's born, a lot of the growth is the last month. Mm-hmm. For the reason that it's waiting for its mother to eat something good before it's born. Mm-hmm. In nature, they would lamb later than most people have lambing earlier or they have in the opposite season or even people here lamb indoors. Yeah. And they raise the lamb. They raise lamb indoors, raise the lamb, and then they put the, the ewes on pasture when they're dry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like miss miss the point a bit, right? Mm. So, so, so that's what I'm saying. Like, if they're lambing, in sync with nature, they need much less support. Yeah, it's, this is not mob breeding, but mob breeding works in a works the the best in in the context where uh, the lambs have a fighting chance. Yes, and then you can have if you, if you have a, a good lambing date in sync with your your forage, that means also you can have a very short lambing season. Yes. Because I know people in Great Britain, they have four, um, they have four, uh, four or five. The the ewes have are allowed four or five cycles to, to yeah. breed. Yes. And and we have some people that many are many of of mob breeders have only one season, and many have two, and yes. two one or two cycles, right? Yes, because they're lambing in the right way, and because they're culling the the opens. So, so on that, then is is that something you you again from a mob breeding point of view, you're wanting to um, continue to breed from the ewes that come into cycle when naturally they should be in cycle, 
and get pregnant on the first or second yeah. cycle. That's what we're really wanting. Yeah, so so my my favorite is to give them two chances and breed from the one that took the first chance. Yeah. Okay. Because I I for two reasons. One reason is that the first timers often uh often get bred on the second. Yeah. Simply because they 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 didn't get started right. They they are they are three weeks older, so they're yeah. much in much better shape on the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing. So the more yearlings, in our context, the more yearlings that that breed, the better, right? Mm-hmm. So we have them when they're one year old. They have the first lamb, mm-hmm. and in some context, it's better to have the first lamb when they're two years old, and then probably this doesn't matter as much. Yeah, depending on how the forage and but, and the breed, uh, yeah, the breeds mm. and the for, uh, forage mm. quality and seven more things. But <laughs> we, I want them to to let's say if I'm breeding for two cycles, thirty four days, yeah, and then grow news that make it on the first cycle. I, I like more than the ones that make it on the second cycle, but mm. my wallet likes much more than that uh, I have fewer opens and more lates. Yeah. I, if I can get uh, now a sheep num- the numbers, but I have like 85 or 90% breeding on the first cycle. Yeah. And then maybe 60% of the rest wow. will breed on the second cycle and then I still have opens, right? Yeah, yeah. The only way to avoid opens is spoiling them by have giving them plenty of cycles but then i can't sell lambs at the same time i can't do anything right when they're born over and lambing doesn't end yes i mean i i, I mean every sheep farmer loves lambing but also every sheep farmer loves when lambing <laughs> must be ended now right is <laughs> now it's 7 days from the last one and I know the date, and now there can be no more, and yeah. the rest is culls, and I'm fine with that now because yeah. I'm tired. Now you know when the tendons, when you're tagging them, and you get sore tendons, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, if that. you're lambing in a good, a short lambing means uh, you get it done with. Do yeah. something else after, right? Mm-hmm. Take care of your trees. Yeah. Whatever fix your fences right mm. or those machines whatever you're doing but mm-hmm. but lambing shouldn't drag on forever for plenty of reasons but in in this in the context of if i try to make the context of mob breeding a little bit tighter i would say that if they are born in three weeks they can all be treated the same mm-hmm they have been treated the same. Yeah. They have been through the same rains and the same droughts and the same thunder and the same hail, right? Yeah. All of them the same. Yeah. So if, and 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 I have an analogy for forest plantations with that, which may or may not make sense. If you plant all the trees in the same spring, then you know forever during that plantation's life, you know that a big tree is a fast-growing tree and a small tree is a slow-growing tree. Mm-hmm. 
and it's easy for you when you're thinning you it's easy to see what you're cutting and what you're leaving yeah. but if they have been planted little here little there over a period of 20 years how do you mm-hmm. know what's best yeah you have no idea no comparison so so that, that's why i like to have a short breeding season mm-hmm. and i like i like to say that it's better to have a longer breeding season and you focus on the animals that made it in the start because it's better to especially with calves it's better to have a late calf than no calf yeah which with lambs there is a limit if they are too light you they're worth nothing anyway right and there yes. are a lot of hassle and they just take take too long uh, they mean, take too long to get where you want and then they become inefficient and and not, not very commercial and you have we have a in in the european uh, context if they are between 17 and and 21 kilos it's the best yeah and same if here they un, if they're under if they're under 13 they are not worth anything no it's like no. that's when when the, the butcher eats all of it right you you get nothing back no. so because <laughs> the the cuts are too small and you know i mean so so with yeah. with cheap it's a little bit special but the, yeah. where a little is not necessarily worth more than nothing but yeah. with cows it's a, a, a calf that's uh, 50 kilos under it's still a calf yeah. So then it there is more easy but but general point is that fewer opens is better yeah. for your economy now yeah. and and breeding from those that make it on the first cycle is better for your economy in, in the, the next long term. 5 years. Yeah, in the long no, in term. A, in in a middle term, right? The middle to long yeah. term it's it's yeah. and you I mean the point is you can do it you can identify the best without losing the rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the, like, that's the main thing. And mm. next question, maybe. Next question. So um, predators, what, what do we, uh, what's the philosophy, mob breeding philosophy dealing with predators? Do we just let nature take its course and then predators just, you know, take off the vulnerable ones or should we intervene and, do things like, for example, use a livestock guardian dog, or use alpacas, or um, you know, electric um, fences, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, is that is that is that going too far? Is that too much of an intervention? Like uh, some animals, some predators will not even make selection. Mm. A bear will eat just any. A bears will eat any one of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> Foxes will eat the weak and bear will eat anyone. So mm-hmm. <laughs> fight the bears and leave the foxes, right? But but what generally what we find in in when we're uh, lambing outdoors and we're uh, um, giving them new grazing every day, we find and we confine them with electric fences. We find that predators don't go in the electric fences. Yeah. And uh, foxes don't go in electric fences, and uh, they can't be bothered. Mm-hmm. They can't. They could do it, but they can't be bothered, right? And if we're la- if we're lambing, when there are hares and birds and everything having mm-hmm. young at the same time, uh, foxes can't be bothered either. But if you're lambing before spring, foxes just look at that. They can't see anything else. There's there's lamb hair. I can take them somehow. 
so the pressure is lower and the same thing for birds with uh, ravens and crows and uh, and that kind of thing mm -hmm. the pressure is different the pressure so yeah. lambing when 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 there is abundance in nature you get much less pressure from from predators that's yeah. not answering the question but it's a reflection we yeah, have no, made. i think that's helpful that's uh, very helpful uh, uh, livestock guardian dogs it works llamas uh, work for things that <laughs> sheep can fight the things llamas can fight right yeah or alpacas anyway. right yeah if you, if, if you have a pack of wild dogs they will eat the llama they will eat the alpaca right <laughs> yeah if it, that's what that what happened and if the alpaca is more expensive than the sheep which is often the case <laughs> i mean some places you can get them for free but yeah they're not earning their way really right no they're not uh, still got to feed them it, it take yeah it takes a while yeah uh, yeah if they have a 50 50 year payback period then it's not it's expensive dog food yeah it is absolutely and and i mean so, but they, I mean, of course, you can you can have this kind of guardian dogs, or you can have uh, electric fences, and you can be there with a yeah. shotgun, and that makes a lot of difference. I I said to people like, I I suggest you can go around there with a shotgun, and you don't want to have a problem with your predators for long, right? Mm -hmm. And they go like, No, I don't have time for that. And mm -hmm. you go, but you do have time. To lamp indoors and ta and take care of every isolate you with with her uh, lamps, and there's one day for single and two days for um, twins, uh, twins and three days for uh, for triplets, and then you have to feed and water all these individually. Mm -hmm. But you have time for that, right? <laughs> and they don't sleep either. They they go on a, on a rolling shift, right? Yeah. So like. What about the sheep take care of everything and you tag them? You can yeah. weigh them if you like, or you can, it doesn't matter if they come out at three or five either. You can still weigh them in the autumn and have a clue about who is produ producing, right? Yeah. But if you can weigh them and tag them, or if you can only tag them, and the rest of the time you're just walking around looking at sheep and having a shotgun under your arm, and you're, <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's all about context. Maybe maybe it doesn't have to be that difficult. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. But I'm saying I'm I think fight pre fighting predators that actually go attacking your sheep is a good idea. Yes, okay, cool. But Thank you. There is yeah. there is room for predators in nature anyway. And the indeed. posture is nature, so. Yeah, indeed. We we want yeah. we want so many hares and birds that they can feed some foxes, right? Yes, indeed. Maybe we don't want Maybe we don't want uh, wolves or bunyips or whatever we have, but <laughs> I love that bunyips. They have bunyips in Norway too. <laughs> no, no, they they we used to, but it's uh, it's better now. It's better now. Good. But we have trolls and giants and stuff. Of course, this you is, do. Absolutely, it's a nuisance. Indeed, so, yeah, and that's uh, that's that's what mob breeding does, isn't it? Um. <laughs> What in mob breeding? What do you monitor and check, and and what do you measure if if we're sort of looking at sort of success signals? What sort of things do we might might we look at or look for? We have one mob breeder. We talked about the people that things that can go wrong with mob breeding. Mm. I have one of the people that are really into mob breeding, but he doesn't know if he's sheep lambed or not. 
<laughs> Anyone, any other sheep farmer will say this one has long wool, it doesn't milk. So yeah. <laughs> that's a cull, but he doesn't see that. So okay. he's struggling a bit. But uh, I mean, what we need to monitor is if they lambed at all. Okay. We must know if they didn't lamb at all their culls mm-hmm. and if the one that didn't lamb in 21 will lamb in 22, her production numbers mean nothing now. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? No. It doesn't matter if she's if her lambs grow 40% better than anything else if she didn't give you anything the year before. Yeah. So first thing, check if they're lambing or not and mm-hmm. weigh the lambs. Yeah. So that you know which ones produce the the, the sorry lambs. Yeah. And and r- even if you don't have uh, full records, you can always tag the ones that uh, needed help in lamb with lambing or with the uh, uh, taking care of the lamb on the first days because you have there there are some that give you pet lambs or whatever you call them in Australia, but yeah. Um, we don't like them <laughs> basically no but I mean this is the bottom level like the, yeah remember the individuals um, record individuals that give you uh, individual they give you grief give you grief and need uh, individual intervention mm-hmm. that's that, that's the basic level and of course weighing weighing the lambs and mm-hmm. finding out what produced what yeah so that you can remove the bottom end yes because any any sheep farmer can can cull the worst five or the worst 25% right yes yes and if you have if you have done if you have culled the worst for a few years the worst isn't that bad anymore no when you leave all of them, the the worst is really bad. Yeah. But there's a marginal effect there, so that you mm. make you earn more points by removing the worst cheap than the second worst cheap, and so on. Yes. And in the middle, it doesn't matter anymore, right? Yeah. So, so it's like marginal effect start from the bottom. Yes. Yes. And uh, so, mm. figure out which one is lambing at all is the first thing. Mm. Like there's oh, there one one guy I'm trying to teach is to <laughs> he he won't get it <laughs> because mm-hmm. he doesn't have an individual check. But more, uh, so you need you need to know what is what. And if you're mm-hmm. experienced shepherd, you can find out that the the ones that don't milk have more wool, right? Yes, yes. If, or yeah, you, or we yeah. we have a shedding sheep. And it's the opposite. The ones that have less. Yeah, they don't shed. They, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or they're shedding too early, it's and a, then they're not pregnant. Yeah, you can. It, it's the same with the with the. You can see the in the winter. You can see with the ponies if they if they look good. Yeah. If they're shining, they're pregnant. Yeah. If they're radiant, they're pregnant. And and if they look sorry, they're not pregnant. Right. <laughs> That's how you find out. You can see that in February, even if their falls come in May, right? So, so there are signals, and for the experienced shepherd, there are many signals. Yes, you can write a book about sheep signals, right? There is one. Love it. But uh, I mean, there. 
individual records are important mm-hmm. but um, depending on what effort you yeah. what level your effort wants you want it to be but you need to do something to to yeah. call it mob breeding you need to do something you need to identify animals yeah, yeah that's great that's great and then uh, uh, we we have something we call the predator's eyes yeah uh look for weakness all the time yeah and uh and find out what that is and what the number is of the ones one limp sheep mm-hmm. one limping sheep and 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 uh one guy who worked in a sheep farm they had like see i think they had 600 sheep and and uh, one of the the men working there he had uh his uh, side thing he was racing with the sled dogs mm. so he always looked at the le- legs of the animals oh wow because is this capable of pulling a sled mm-hmm. no frederick it's a sheep yes but i'm still looking at it that way yes <laughs> so they had really good he, he was calling he was calling anything with bad legs because yeah. he was always looking at legs legs how funny or top and, lines uh, we, or whatever it might be mm. yeah and I, and i have one uh some place where where they were sharing so we're um swedish context is uh, that you need to check the feet as well mm-hmm. you need to, to trim the feet yeah and then we said is it worth it to trim the feet we're mob breeding right they should take care of their own feet yeah And I said, no, it's not worth it in the mob breeding context. It's not worth it. The work to trim the feet is not worth it. But the work to look at the feet is worth it. Ah. So we turned we turned every sheep upside down just to look at the feet. So look at the And feet. then we trimmed only the the ugliest 10% maybe. Yeah. And we said if it if if the foot is symmetric. Then Which, every it tells you that leg yeah. structure is perfect, right? Yes, 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 yes. If one if one side is much bigger than the other, then you, there Something is a joint problem on. somewhere. Yeah, there's it's not so wearing it's like, evenly. Yeah, so you, then you, you it, and if it's foot, foot is one way on the front legs and the other way on the back leg, you know there's something really off, <laughs> and then. Yeah, uh, and and you know, like, so it's it's not worth it to trim the feet, yeah. but it's worth to register the poor feet. Oh wow! And and uh, and that's also a marginal effect, right? The first time on that farm, we called a lot of sheep. Yeah. Surprisingly little because of that uh, dog racer, but but we found some. Yeah. I I think I took fifteen. I think I took fifteen out. Yeah. Wow. And I didn't. And not that important if I if I actually call them, but they are no longer in the breeding program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are allowed yeah. to produce. They are allowed to produce daughters, but not sons. If yeah. you know what I, I'm. So the impact is. Um, I could say something about the gene flow because mm. uh, we have something like uh, father to son is forty percent of the gene flow and. And mother to daughter is ten percent, and 
mother to son is 25% and father to daughter is 25%. Okay. Simply because we have fewer rams than we have use. Okay. So one individual ram makes more damage or more goodness depending more goodness. on what it is, right? Yes, yes, yes. So so that that, that so the gene flow from a certain good you to her son is 25% mm-hmm. of the gene flow and from him to his daughters is 25%. So yeah. that you was impactful by being a grandmother. Yeah. While uh, the granddaughter of a you, like a maternal granddaughter of a you made, makes much less impact. Mm-hmm. Like the, 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 the sons make more impact than the daughters, right? And yeah. the the sons of the sons make more impact because you accelerate the you have a higher spreading capacity two generations in a row, right? Yes, yes. And so by using uh, this the new rams every year, we are accelerating the things we don't need to look for. The already mm-hmm. proven genetics that are in there. Yeah, we can accelerating them while we're waiting for the use to pr- prove themselves so we yes. have a slow gene flow on one side a fast gene flow on the other and mm-hmm. then in the middle we have a mix of both yeah so right. so uh, that's why mm-hmm. we're doing it that way and and also because of the monitoring point for the a breeding ram the monitor monitoring point saying if it's good or not it's when mm-hmm. it's wind when it's a, a reasonable slaughter age. Yes. This is for uh, three or four or five months, and we, we are winning at four months, and uh, yeah. depending on context again. But it's what they look like when it, when it's time to kill them. That's what counts. Right. Most rams are good-looking when they're four years old, but that doesn't, that doesn't change their, their offspring. It doesn't yeah. change their offspring. Yeah. And... Uh, and most wow. bulls are spectacular when they are six years old. Yeah. But they, their seed was as good when they were one year old. Yeah, it yeah. It doesn't change anything. And you can you you will get a lot of shepherds that say says that the uh, the lambs from a two year old ram are better than the lambs of a one year old ram. Yes. You will hear that. Yes. And the reason is that they use the they use the one year old ram only on. Uh, use the young ram only on on first time use and first time use produce smaller lambs than older yeah. sheep right so then so then they think that that belongs to the ram but it's a maternal effect so, so yeah. i mean for us we came to the conclusion that we don't care what the ram looks like when it's four yeah and of course that's because we killed it before it's four but also yeah. how it develops is not really interesting because rams have no uh, it's not ram. Basically, we are not producing rams. We are producing lambs. Mm-hmm. Mm. And a ram is basically just an older lamb, right? Or yeah, it's, or it's, uh, yeah, yeah, or it's it's it's, it's like. N- and we we also came to the conclusion that. Um, a ram is a f- efficient way to. To get more grandsons from a you. Yes. Yeah. You is what we know anything about. Yes, indeed. And yeah. There is there is another way, right? If if we're not mob breeding, 
we could uh, progeny test. Okay. We could, instead of mob breeding, we could progeny test the the rams we have higher hopes for. Yeah. But then we have to wait for two years to know anything about them. Yeah. And we have, so we have a trade-off. We have more efficient selection, but we also have a much slower selection. Yeah. So we can afford, to have, in mob breeding, we can afford to have a significantly a lower resolution and we will still find out what's the best because time time flies yes yes indeed and um animal welfare what's what i mean with with some of the things we've been talking about it, it may suggest maybe that we're thinking oh well we just let everything die but that's not really the case Yes, because we are cynical <laughs> we are so cynical yeah and you know what i am so cynical that I even kill animals. Mm. <laughs> That's how cynical I am, right? Mm. I kill them and I eat them, right? Yeah. And once and and many along with me, they will kill animals and eat them. And if you are that cynical, you are pretty cynical, right? Mm-hmm. And but it's it's still once we have taken the right to kill something to eat it. Really, if we are killing something healthy and keeping something that walks on three legs, mm. it's not we are we are it's not animal welfare to keep something that walks on three legs just to say that you are nice to this animal. Mm. Like let it walk on two legs. Back end is in a in a cart and it walks on the front legs, right? Yeah. I mean it. it it doesn't hold. Uh, it doesn't hold water to call that animal welfare. But the yeah. thing, what, we have the context that we are killing animals, and by killing the worst, most suffering animals, we are we are improving animal welfare with enormous marginal effect. Instead of mm. catching the sheep once a week and um, and wash its feet and putting the right medicine on the feet or whatever and drench it and yeah. Uh, if we are culling the problem sheep, it doesn't suffer. Mm-hmm. And if we are, if you are culling, if we're culling an, uh, a a healthy sheep to keep a problem sheep, it's not to animal welfare. No, it's not. So, so I'm cynical, but I'm not that cynical. So, if yeah. if the animals suffer, I take care of it, of course. But I don't want to breed from it. Yes. I want to make the next generation easier to handle. Yeah. And, and, it, and improve and, and improve the animal welfare overall. Yeah, because it's more, I mean, more ethical. And and I read a lot, of, I talked to uh, David Scobie, who is a New Zealand uh, researcher. He, he made a sheep with short tails. Mm-hmm. And he made a sheep that sheds a wool sheep that sheds on the on the thighs and inside of the thighs and on the other and stuff like that and uh, produces wool on the back and sides and and uh, on the you know basically it sheds all the non valuable wood wool and yeah. uh, and keeps clean. Yeah. It's called bohipi and uh, it was a success, but in in terms of research it was a success but it doesn't spread for some reason yeah uh, and i um 
at one point we, we were create we're creating a few new breeds here because I have some people that have a yeah well call it faith <laughs> <laughs> people that have faith in me right mm. and one of the things we were I was considering doing was that that, that kind of uh, fine wool sheep right something mm. that doesn't need crutching or doesn't need yeah, mulesing or crutching or this kind of thing, right? Yeah. And it's perfectly possible. So uh, breeding something like something that sheds on, uh, shed, has a clean tail or, yep. uh, sh you know, sheds on the other and stuff mm -hmm. like that. It's possible, right? Yeah. Or we can just simply renounce wool and say that uh, Dorper and Australian white or whatever is is uh, way to go. It's the way to go. Yeah. Or or even uh, if you the next level, uh, the Africans are doing the meat master, which is mm. Damara and meat breeds, and yeah. and you just look at them and say, okay, everyone says that hair sheep are sorry, and then you go like, these hair sheep are better than wool sheep are when they're three weeks after sharing right yeah <laughs> they look like they have wool but there's all meat so yeah i mean Indeed. we can do things with breeding and part of that is like we get a lot faster when we don't care about the names and and status and um pedigree pedigree for some reason yeah, yeah it's funny isn't it it's funny so if if uh, if someone was thinking about moving from sort of conventional type shepherding to mob breeding, where would they start? What would you What would your advice be for them to what What, what would you suggest to change or to look at or or to uh, sort of focus on? Like first, change perspective. Mm. If you have bought good rams from stud breeders for a long time why do you think his sheep are still better than yours <laughs> <laughs> like is there mad is is there something in his water that makes his sheep better right and it's like getting over the the great ram syndrome on or uh, like my father liked to put it when you buy a horse from this farm you will just get the horse you will not get his white white fences. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they won't. They, they won't come. The, the white fences don't come with the horse. Yeah. The, when you you go to a place with white fences and buy a horse, and you come home, it's still a horse. Yeah. And you and you still don't have white fences, right? Yeah. So exactly, what's the special thing about the the stud breeder? Usually, the stud breeder is just better at taking care of sheep. Mm -hmm. Is the stud breeder is not better at breeding animals, he's better at taking care of sheep. And they rise to the status of, of stud breeder simply because they know how to feed their sheep. They know how to take care of them, which is, is or is not the best sheep you can find. Probably mm -hmm. there is good, there are probably good, good sheep everywhere. Mm. So if these stud breeders are so awesome, then you will get some of that when you buy their rams. Yes. 
and then you have it in their flock. Yes. You have the same blood. Your your sheep have the same blood as the stud breeders because you buy from stud breeders. Yeah. And and so changing the perspective is one thing. And then I like when people start. I like to talk about filtering water. So I have I have the idea that I'm pouring a bucket of water over my filter and I have one year where this slowly percolates down and and I have filter number eight. It takes one year to, to send the water through and I will have cleaner water. It's not clean. It's just number eight. Yeah. And then next year I have two... I have two uh, uh, things I can do. Mm-hmm. I can take my number eight water and send it to filter number seven so it gets cleaner. Yeah. It also takes one year mm-hmm. or one generation, right? Or I can pour half of it on the ground and fill it up with dirty river water and put it back to filter number eight. Mm-hmm. So when you're buying a when you're buying a ram from a stud breeder, you you put new dirty water, right? And when you're when you're selecting from your own flock with with mob breeding criteria, you have the chance of going from filter eight to filter seven to filter six, right? Mm-hmm. You can get a cleaner, better herd all the time. But you can't do that if you're constantly pouring half of the water and putting new muddy flood water, uh, river water. Mm-hmm. Because the, when you're importing from someone that does not mob breed, you import his problems. Right. But you can't see them because he's good at taking care of sheep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, if he knows that the maternal granddam of that ram you're buying needed a lot of help when the, with the first lambing if he if he at all remembers that he won't tell you no but if you have a you that didn't make it on the first lambing you called it mm-hmm. she is not going to have a grandson that you sell to someone yeah so it's about integrity but a mob breeder doesn't necessarily have more integrity than a stud breeder. But it costs him nothing to have the integrity because he knows he has got 50 other good rams. Yeah. Well, well the stud breeder says, yes, but this ram is from that ram that won the auction and were sold for blah, blah, thousand guineas, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a status game, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's not it's not that power corrupts it's that power attracts the corruptible mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a, a, a stud breeder is not the same thing as an ordinary breed a mob breeder right a mob breeder is a person in overalls and no hi hat yeah yeah <laughs> Wow. So that's a the change of perspective. You don't yeah. you don't get the white fences. That's that's the most important mm. thing. And and then the second thing is don't be deathly afraid of inbreeding on the individual level. Mm-hmm. In the inbreeding on the population level 
leads to nothing good. It's yeah. stagnation. It it's, uh, it can destroy the entire breed. Like it like it's not inbreeding that destroys the pedigree dogs. It's mm. poor selection. Mm. It's the it's not the inbreeding. It's inbreeding combined with poor selection is a is a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. But in the but, uh, inbreeding on the individual level, it's a lamb anyway. Yeah. If it's under the breed average, just sell it to to slaughter. If it's over if it's over breed average, it doesn't matter if it was inbred or outbred. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're what we're doing when we get now that we get blind blinded, so we can't see the pedigree. We don't know if individuals are outbred or inbred, but we know that an animal, whether it's inbred or outbred, it's a cull. We see if it's a cull. Yes. Yeah. And if it somehow managed to not get culled, it's a good animal, whatever it's if it's inbred or not. Yeah, yes. And the same thing if it's outbred or not, right? So we are so don't be afraid of individual inbreeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually it's pure speculation. But if you want to be a stud breeder and mob breed, you must DNA profile everything. Right. And and then you're feeding a breed association that actually not feeding you. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. like it, be, it, be, it it's a good idea, but it's yes. it's a good idea. A breed association is a good idea, but it has it turns to be parasitic. Mm-hmm. Mm. But but some of these philosophies you're, you're not, talking about, anyone could use. Like anyone could could think about um, you know culling culling the 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 animals that aren't performing or aren't functional you know that's good that's sort of taking some of the elements from mom breeding and using them to improve your flock yes yes yeah. anyone can do it yeah or not the, the, the not... special thing with mob breeding mm. the special thing with mob breeding is that the selection and the culling is the same thing. Mm. Like it, this the the selection of breeding breeding rams is just we are basically only propagating what is not culled. Yeah. So so we are we are breeding resistance to culling, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this culling, it, it it we make more of the ones that didn't need to be culled, so we make yeah. the game easier instead of harder. Mm-hmm. And and it it is that simple. Yeah. There is no more level. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. This is it. This is it. Great yeah. stuff. Thanks. So, so, yeah. Thanks, Bjorn. Now, if if anyone wanted to get in touch with you, how can they find you or or chat with you further? They can find me. Uh, ho- hold on, I'll get my spelling. Uh, my uh, I get my words right. Uh, there is a Facebook group. Yeah. And it's called Mob Breeding for Holistic Breeding of Livestock. 
Yes, that's right. Which yeah. means that all you sheep people are welcome. There are also pig people, and uh, there are pig people and uh, cow people, and so on. But these principles work for everything that wants to be in a herd. Yes. Great so stuff. This is the group you can go to. Yeah. So mob breeding for yeah. holistic breeding of livestock. Yeah. Yes. Great That's stuff. a Facebook group. Yeah, beautiful. That's great. Bjorn, that's really good. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you spending some time with me and sharing your knowledge with our listeners and just bringing us to these concepts that, that really are quite, quite simple and practical. So thank you so much. It's a, it's a pleasure. If I can teach Australians something about sheep, it's a, it's a pure delight. You know most of the stuff. It's just this, ah. this is the missing piece. Well, I think that's the that's the beauty. We're always learning, so we really appreciate your uh, your sharing what you know and what works for you. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sheep Show podcast. Want to make a difference to a farmer today? Why not buy direct? At Holston Valley Farm, we supply whole lamb cut and professionally packed to Victorians in Australia and ready for your family to savor. Place your order today at www.holstonvalleyfarm.com. And how's your sheep journey going? Contact me via Instagram at Holston Valley Farm or via email jill at holstonvalleyfarm.com.au. And until next time, sheep well.